We want to change gears a little bit now and uh, talk about Jesus and the Seder. And uh, I think this is going to be probably a very interesting presentation for me and hopefully for you as well. Um, so uh, Rabbi Jack is just going to give us go through this presentation of what the Seder is, the significance of it, how we can apply it to our lives today. And I think that's the key thing is how do we apply it today. History is great, but we need to talk about where we're at today and future and where we're going and how this applies to us. Um, so uh, I'm just going to turn it over to Rabbi Jack, and uh, yeah, I'm sure that uh, he'll answer your questions at the end, if not during. Sounds good, Brother Mike. And I think we can turn that down just a little bit. Good. We are changing gears because the last workshop that we just did, how many of you know that was, that was about some pretty heavy and, and you know, really, really, uh, uh, you know, tough stuff. This, this behind me, this is celebration. We're going to have some fun now. And how many of you know that if we're not careful, we might learn an awful lot about the scriptures as well. Amen. I'm glad that you're sticking around for both because now I get to put on my happy face because I enjoy this presentation so much. Before I begin and tell you what I have here and uh, what, what I want to do first is for how many of you is this your first ever Passover Seder presentation that you've been to? Raise your hands. Wonderful, wonderful. Quite a few of you in here and I'm, I'm so glad. Since that's the case, and once again, this is also great for taking notes, I'm going to explain really everything that you need to know about a Passover Seder by, uh, by first not even saying the word Seder, but by letting you know that Passover itself used to be considered simply a Jewish feast or a Jewish festival. After all, it's found in the book of Leviticus. That's the Old Testament. And so folks were brought up to think, well, that's a Jewish feast. But one of the things that we're going to learn tonight is that Passover was, is, and always will be a Jesus feast. From the very beginning, it's been all about him it's not just an old testament story it's also a new testament story and the common thread that binds both stories can be explained in just one word and that word is the word redemption and let me explain many of you know the old testament story but the fact of the matter is that the only reason we have passover in the first place is because people got hungry it's true there was a famine in the land of Israel at the end of the book of Genesis. There was no more food, and the Israelites didn't know what to do. Until one of them said, wait a minute, uh, there's food, there's plenty of food in Egypt. Why don't we go there? And the reason there was plenty of food in Egypt was because some years before, Jacob's sons sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Joseph ended up in Egypt and had a dream and interpreted actually the king's dream and said to the king, I think I need to store food in the storehouses, uh, your majesty, so that when a famine comes, we'll have more than enough food and we'll be able to feed all the Egyptian people. Little did Joseph know that the Israelites found out there was food, they would go to Egypt. And so Joseph, even though he was storing the food for the Egyptians, that food would one day go to feed his own brothers and his own family. Don't you love how God's plan works? So the Israelites went to Egypt where they lived for many, many years in relative peace until one day the Pharaoh changed hands. A new king of Egypt, a new Pharaoh came on the throne. And unlike the king before him, he was not at all happy about having all of these Israelites in his land. He was worried that they would gain too much political power 
and control. So the king issued two decrees. The first decree was that he said, I'm going to take all of these Israelites and put them in in chains and in bondage and make them slaves. And he did. The second decree was that the Pharaoh called for the death of every male newborn Israelite child. Now, that time there had been a woman who had given birth to a male Israelite child and she heard about the decree and she wanted to save the child from the decree. So she placed the child in a basket, put the basket, sent it down the river. You all know, I hope, the child's name was? Praise the Lord. Thank you so much. You have no idea how much I appreciate that. But let me explain why. A couple of weeks ago, I was doing a Passover Seder uh, presentation like this in, where was I? Moorefield, West Virginia, which is like, by the way, the Jewish Mecca of the United States. Not. And, and so we're getting to this part of the story, and, and I'm saying, you know, the uh, woman, the birth of the child, put the child in a basket, sent the basket down the river. I said, what was the child's name? And there was a gentleman in the back who was from the area, and he got up and he said, that was Charlton Heston. I'm like, no, sir, no. No, 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 sir, that was, that was the movie. No, the Bible came before there were movies. No, it wasn't Charlton Heston. So, so, Moses was sent in a basket down the river, grew up in the palace, and one day saw an Egyptian guard beating a Hebrew slave. Moses slew the guard and then ran for his life, and one day Moses met God at a burning bush. And God said, Moses, those, those Israelites, those slaves, guess what? You're related to him. They're your people. And I want you to tell the Pharaoh to let them go. And Moses told Pharaoh to let them go over and over and over again. And each time Moses told Pharaoh to let them go, Pharaoh said, no. Each time Pharaoh said no, God brought a a plague down on the land. Something bad would happen. God brought nine plagues down on the land and Pharaoh continued to say no. At which point God said, Moses, it's all right. I'm going to bring a tenth and final plague down on the land. And when this tenth one comes, Pharaoh will allow the Israelites to be freed from slavery. Here were the details of that plague. Uh, God said, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. Here's what I want you to do. I'm going to send my angel of death into the city to strike down every firstborn male Egyptian child. But I want to make sure that no Israelite children are harmed. In fact, I want to make sure that my angel of death can tell the difference between a home where the Israelites live and a home where the Egyptians live. In order to make that distinction, Moses, so that the angel doesn't bring death on Israelite homes, but instead what the angel will do is pass over them, Here's what I want you to do, Moses. Tell the head of every Israelite household to go out and slay a lamb. And Exodus 12 says, then Moses, take take the blood from that lamb and have them smear that blood on the lintel and the doorposts of their houses. Now, you all probably know what a doorpost is, but I don't know if you know what a lintel is. So let me just go over to this door to kind of illustrate for you because it's the door that all of us could see. On each side of a door, you have vertical doorposts, and those obviously are the doorposts. See this beam that goes across on the top? That's called the lintel of the doorway. So, well, think about this. Um, God told Moses, tell the head of every Israelite household, slay a lamb, smear the blood of the lamb on the lintel and the doorposts of their houses. I think there's some great symbolism in there. 
And the reason that I think there's great symbolism in there is, you know, if you're going to smear the blood, uh, let's see, you know, if you smear the blood on a lintel and then a doorpost, you seem to get an interesting shape. Let's see, we smear the blood on a lintel and we smear the blood on a doorpost. Anybody see anything interesting in that? So we've got this imagery of the blood of a spotless lamb that was slain and smeared in the prefigurement of a cross. But that's not all. Because if you were to smear the blood on both doorposts and a lintel, it would be, let's say, a doorpost, a lintel, and a doorpost. You do that, you've actually made the shape of a Hebrew letter. A Hebrew letter that starts a Hebrew word called in Hebrew, chatat, which in English means sin. So let's see. We've got the imagery of the blood of a lamb smeared on the prefigurement of a cross, and that blood covered the sin of the people. Wow. And when that happened, of course, the angel of death decided to pass over the Israelite homes. The Egyptian children were killed. Pharaoh allowed the Israelites to go free. Their chains of slavery and bondage came off. They were redeemed. They went out into their promised land. And how many of you know that's their story? And how many of you know it's somebody else's story? It's our story too. We have a lot in common with those Israelites. Because at one time in our lives before we knew Jesus, we also were slaves to another Pharaoh, Satan. But what happened? Jesus, our Lamb of God, came and shed his blood on the fulfillment of a lintel and a doorpost. And when we acknowledge what he did for us, Our sins are atoned for because his blood covers our sins. Our chains of slavery and bondage come off and we are redeemed and now we have the promise of the promised land of eternal life in heaven. I know that's good for an amen, so go ahead and say it. Praise the Lord. And so that's why we celebrate Passover. It's a time of celebration. I know folks who do Passover seders and and, and I've seen so many of them, but so many Passover seders tend to be kind of monotone and very, very solemn and they go on for four or five hours and I'm thinking, this should be joyful. We're not slaves anymore. We're celebrating tonight. And that's the whole idea. Passover is an eight-day festival. And the first two nights of Passover, you have what's called a Passover Seder. And I want to make sure you get the word right. Everybody say Seder. Seder. Good. Wonderful. It's not a cedar. That's a tree. And the word Passover Seder or the word Seder means order of service. I have several food items and elements behind me that I'm going to use to take you through the actual order of a Passover Seder. What I'm going to do with each one is I'll show you the Old Testament significance of each and then I'll show you the New Testament significance of how they were, they are, and they always will be fulfilled in Christ. You ready for me to do it? Okay, first, let me give you an idea of uh, what we have on our Passover Seder table. First of all, I have have two bowls of water. One is a bowl of, of clear water, and the other is a bowl of really, really salty water. You put a lot of salt in there. Next to those bowls, there's also a hand towel. I also have on my table a cup of grape juice. It is customary at a Passover Seder to partake of the cup a total of four different times throughout the Seder. It's not meant as a casual beverage. You do this as a ritual. Each cup is given a different name. I'll give you the name of each cup and I'll explain what its significance is from Old Testament to New. Also, on my Passover Seder table, 
I have three slices of what's called matzah or unleavened bread. And let me just tell you, just in case if you've never tried this before, you need to know (laughs) this stuff tastes great with something on it. I mean, you know, if you just, trust me, if you just eat this the way that it is, you see the cardboard box that it comes from? You might as well eat the box. It's the same flavor. There's no difference. And uh, let's see. Also, I have in the middle of a table a round plate, not surprisingly called a Seder plate. There are five items or elements on a Seder plate. We have a hard-boiled egg. How good are your reflexes, everybody? Catch. Don't worry, it's plastic. The look of shock, it's okay. Do you need prayer right now? We have, we have a, a hard-boiled egg. I also have a sprig of parsley. In now the 6 o'clock position on the Seder plate, there's this kind of chunky, off-white, tan-brown mixture. It is a mixture of apples, walnuts, honey, and cinnamon. And it's really, really good. And in English, we don't know what in the world to call it. Uh, but we do know what to call it in Hebrew. It goes by an interesting Hebrew word. Uh, by the way, you guys want to learn a little bit of Hebrew tonight? Oh, <laughs> you're brave. Okay, here's what I'll do. I will teach you the Hebrew word so that you'll know how to pronounce this, but I want to give you fair warning because the vast majority of Hebrew words either begin or end with the following sound. <laughs> and this is one of those Hebrew words, so... Before you say this one, don't say it yet. It's actually pronounced charoses, but before you say it, except for everybody in the last row, everybody else has somebody sitting in front of them, so I want you to be kind when you say this. So it's pronounced charoses. Everybody say it. Charoses. That's really good. You guys got the cha in there. And then to the uh, your left of the charosis, there's this kind of like off-white creamy mixture. You may think it's butter, but it's not. It's horseradish, and sometimes it can be very, very horseradish. Do not, under any circumstances, mistake it for butter or we'll never see you again. So that's what we've got on our Seder plate. All of these items and elements that I told you about are there because they have deep, deep, spiritual significance regarding the Passover story from the exodus of the Israelites to our own exodus from slavery and bondage. So now what I'll do, I'll take you through the actual order of the Passover Seder in the order that it's done, and all you need to do is listen and take notes, and I promise you'll get it. We begin the Passover Seder by partaking of the first of our four cups of grape juice. As I said earlier, each cup goes by a different name. This first cup is called either the cup of holiness or the cup of sanctification. I prefer the cup of holiness because sanctification is a long, long word that a lot of people don't even know what it means. Why is this called the cup of holiness? Well, why did God bring the Israelites out of slavery and bondage in Egypt in the first place? Was it because they were just such a, a wonderful, obedient, righteous group of people? How many of you know not even close? God didn't bring them out of Egypt because they were holy, but he brought them out of Egypt because he wanted them to be holy. And we know that because the Lord says as much in Leviticus 19.2, where God says, You be holy, for I am holy. 
And the cup is a reminder of that. The cup's also a reminder of holiness in another way. You'll notice that the grape juice you put in the cup is a dark red. It's supposed to be that way. We don't use white grape juice at a Seder. We use dark red grape juice at a Seder because we want to have a reminder of Jesus' blood that was poured out and shed for us. What does that have to do with holiness? Everything. How many of you know that any holiness that any of us can claim doesn't come from anything we have ever done or will ever do? We could spend eternity trying to do works of our own, but the Bible says it's by grace that you've been saved, not by your works. That way you can't boast. Our holiness doesn't come from anything we've ever done. It comes from everything that Christ already did. And this grape juice is symbolic of that. And so for the first cup and the first cup alone, it's customary to recite or sing a Hebrew blessing over the first cup. And what I'll do is I'll do that blessing for you in Hebrew. Then I'll translate it into the English and I'll explain what it has to do with, with Christ. But in Hebrew, the blessing sounds like this. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Borei pirihagafen Amen. And that means, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Right. And here's what I like to add. And who reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is our first fruits. And then Jesus reminds us in John 15 that he is also the vine. We are the branches. And he says, if we remain in him, we will bear much what? You got it. And there's a blessing over the first cup. Now, what I want to do tonight, since I've got various food items and elements, I want to make this participatory. I don't want it to be a monologue. I want you guys to participate. And so I need a volunteer for the next thing that I'm doing. One hand up, we'll do it. Don't worry, it's not the horseradish, guys. Come on, you're panicking way too early over here. Got it. Come on up. Come on over. Excellent. Excellent. Come on up. Don't worry. It's not the horseradish. Good. Uh, Do you like parsley, though? Sure. Don't worry. It's not that. Here's what I'm going to do. We, after we finish partaking of the first cup, what I want you to do is we next go to the bowl of clear water where we have a ceremonial washing in the bowl of clear water. So what I'm going to have you do, very, very simply, I want you just to put your hands in the bowl to wash and then just take this hand towel and dry your hands. There you go. Excellent. Oh my gosh, he folded it up for me too. You're so kind. I better put it back folded the way it was. Thank you so much. Give him a hand. He was excellent. There you go. Now, now, what you just did is done at a traditional Seder in a Jewish home. You actually put your hands in the bowl of clear water to wash and dry your hand with a hand towel. When I came of age, I guess about four or five, and I was really inquisitive, and my parents would do this Seder every year. I remember, I think it was at the age of four, when we started to put our hands in the bowl of water, I asked my mom, I said, Mom, why do we put our hands in the bowl of clear water to wash? And she gave me the typical answer that every Jewish mother gives to their Jewish son when they ask her a question, which was basically, son, I don't know, go ask your father. And so, so I did. 
And he said, well, the reason you put your hands in the bowl to wash is because it's an act of humility. You want to come humbly before the Lord, and it's kind of a ceremonial washing. At a Passover Seder in a Jewish home, that's the whole significance. That's where it ends. For we as believers in Christ, wow, this is where the significance begins. And let me explain. I've been calling this a Passover Seder. But before this particular meal actually occurred with Jesus and his disciples, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go and find a place to prepare the Passover. And the meal they had that night, that Passover meal or that Seder, was also known as the Last Supper. That's another name for it. And what's interesting is that if you read about the account of the Last Supper, and I believe it's in John 13, it says at one point, Jesus took a hand towel from around his waist. Then he got hold of the wash basin. And in one of the most beautiful acts of humility, he proceeded to wash the feet of his disciples. Now think about this. This is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is God manifest in the flesh to come wash ordinary people's feet. I wonder how the disciples must have felt when God manifest was doing this for them. They, no doubt, were probably moved to tears. Brother, I want you to come back on up again. Uh, But I also need another volunteer to join you. Yeah, come on over. Excellent. Here's what I want you to do. Because we know that when Jesus was doing this for for, for his disciples, that they probably had a feeling inside that goes beyond words. I want you guys to be able to get as close as possible to that tonight. Now, don't panic. Keep your shoes on. But here's what we are going to do. Okay? What's your name, by the way? Cohen. Okay. So, Cohen and? Jake. And Jake. Cohen, what I want you to do is I want you to put your hands in the bowl of clear water to wash. But after you do that, I don't want you to take the hand towel to dry your hands. I want Jake to take this towel and dry your hands for you. And then after that's done... Jake is going to put his hands in one more time and then you can take the towel and dry his hands for him, okay? In the spirit of Christ doing this for his disciples. Let's watch you guys do this right now. Praise the Lord. Guys, thank you both so, so very much. It's wonderful what you just did. Everybody wants to fold up the towel. It's great. Amen. Amen. Now, this next demonstration I'll do because it's parsley, and I don't know too many people who go absolutely crazy over garnish. But uh, what we do now, in your notes, we move now from the bowl of clear water to the bowl of salt water. And as we do, each and every ritual tells a different part or a piece of the Passover story. At this point in the Passover Seder, it's customary for everyone at the table to have a sprig of parsley. And what they will do is they will take their sprig of parsley, you take the sprig of parsley, dip it into the bowl of salt water, get it really saturated, and then you hold the parsley up and shake it so that you could see the salt water drops coming down. And then after you do that, the tradition is to then take a bite. Oh, that is so wrong. Why do we do that? I don't know. No, of course I do. Let me explain the significance. If I can get this piece of parsley out of my tooth. Okay. Passover, the story of Passover is very, very visual. 
I held the parsley up to shake to see the salt water drops coming out. And that's one place where you get salt water drops from. Anybody know another? Yep, our tears. You want to have a visual reminder of the tears that the Israelite slaves shed when they were in bondage. But what about the parsley? Well, parsley is a plant. Plants grow in the springtime. It's a time of new life. Out of their tears, God gave them new life, drowning their tears and sorrows. Now, that water, it's to be a picture or a reminder of the waters of the Sea of Reeds or the Red Sea that the Israelites crossed through after God divided it out of slavery into redemption. And once again, that's their story, which means who else's story is it? Right, now you're catching on. We have a lot in common with those Israelites. Before we knew Jesus, we too were slaves, shedding tears of misery. But what happened? Christ came down from heaven, giving us new life, drowning our tears. Now that water, it's a reminder of the waters of baptism. Because when we're baptized, it's an outward sign of our inward obedience to identifying with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And how many of you know without any of those things, we'd still be slaves today? One more thing to tell you about the parsley and the significance it has. Uh, Remember earlier, when I went over to that doorpost and I did the illustration of smearing the blood on the lintels on the doorpost that the head of every Israelite household did. Well, when they did that, they didn't use their hands. They used a plant, a plant called hyssop. The parsley is there as a reminder of the hyssop plant that was used to smear the blood of the lamb on the prefigurement of a cross to cover the sins of the people. And what's really interesting is that the next time in Scripture in the New Testament where you read about hyssop, Jesus, our lamb, is on the fulfillment of a lentil and a doorpost. He's being crucified. They try to feed him vinegar to drink, and they use a sprig of hyssop to try and give it to him. It's all about him tonight. Are you starting to see that? Amen. Well, as we go on in our Seder, let me now talk a little bit about our three slices of matzah or unleavened bread. If you go to a Passover Seder in a Jewish home, particularly if there are a lot of people, there's, there's going to be a lot of these things on the table. 10, 20, entirely too many. One is enough. But somewhere there will also be a plate where specifically they will have no more than three slices of this. It might actually be wrapped under a bag. Specifically three slices of unleavened bread. If you ask... In a Jewish family, why they put out three slices of bread, they will say, because that's what we were told to do, and that's all we know. But the fact of the matter is the significance is that it came from the idea to have something on their table that's a reminder of the three great patriarchs of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, sure, I see that triunity going on in these three slices of matzah. But I don't know about you, I think I see maybe an even better, greater triunity going on in these three slices of matzah. You have any idea where I might be going with this? Right. How about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Now, here's where it gets fun. Let me show you now what is done with one of these three slices of matzah at a Passover Seder in a Jewish home where they don't even believe in Jesus. Once I play this out for you, you will pick up the significance of it in a second. But I will tell you that when Jewish people do this, the thought that comes to their minds doesn't even remotely resemble what will come to ours. It's at this point in the Seder 
where the head of the table will take out from these three slices of matzah the middle piece, or to us that would be the sun piece. They will then proceed to break it, and they will then wrap the broken piece (coughs) in a white cloth. You wouldn't have any idea where I'd be going with this at all, would you? And then, uh, normally what's done, and you know what, Pastor Mike, I'm going to give this to you, because I need you to do something for me. What I need you to do, it's customary uh, now to take that piece of matzah. What I need you to do, Mike, is I need you to go um, hide it away somewhere, or, oh, I don't know, why don't we just say bury it? And a little bit later in the Seder, it's also customary that you send somebody out to go and get that matzah, and and when they do, they bring it back. Or, oh, I don't know, why don't we just say they resurrect it? You wouldn't have any idea where we're going with this at all, now would you? This is done at Passover Seders in Jewish homes where the Jewish people don't even believe in Christ. They don't realize that they're playing out as death and burial and resurrection. They do it every single year. Now, one year when my parents did this and I was already saved and I came home and I said, okay, I got to tell them. I can't hold back anymore. I've got to tell them what they're doing. I said, mom, dad, look, you need to know that what you're doing, you are playing out the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, the Messiah. You've got to know this. It's so obvious. They said, no, we don't know that. And that's not why we do it. I said, okay, then tell me why you do it. I will tell you what they said. But you will never believe the explanation they gave. They said, well, son, the reason that we do this is because we know that during Passover, that Passover usually comes at around the same time that Easter does. And son, you know, we're a Jewish family, and we know that during Easter, all the Christian kids get to go on Easter egg hunts, and they go get to go on hunts and find things, and you're Jewish, but we didn't want you to feel left out, so we wanted to give you something exciting to hunt for, too. Oh, joy. You guys got to look for candy. I had to look for cardboard. Are you kidding me? Amazing. By the way, that portrayal of Christ, it it, it goes farther than that. That piece of matzah or unleavened bread, Pastor Mike, that you had, that broken piece, it goes by a certain name. It's a Greek word pronounced afikomen. A-F as in Frank. I-K-O-M-E-N. It's a Greek word, but it has a, obviously an English meaning. When you say afikomen, it means in English, I am come. It's all about him. Isn't that wonderful? Praise the Lord. There is also, by the way, a part of the Seder where I think I need four more volunteers, preferably the youngest, four youngest people in the room. Four youngest people in the room, come on up. Guys, this is not rocket science. Four youngest people in the room. You're definitely one of them. That, 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 that goes without saying. And let, let's see. Any, there is a, do we have anyone else? Yay. Thank you. Three. I've got three. Excellent. We have one, do we have one more? One more person. who? Okay, wait. Let, let me open this up. One more person who either is young or who would like to be again. And a fourth person to come on up. That's all right. Don't worry. Take your time. Pastor Mike says as long as we get out of here before 2 o'clock this morning, everything will be fine. 
Yay! Awesome! Birthday girl! All right. Now, here's what we're going to do. The reason that I call the four of you up here is it's customary at this part in our Passover Seder for each person, four people, each one asks a different question regarding the Passover story. And you read it out of this book called the Passover Haggadah. Passover Haggadah means the telling of the story. So by asking these questions, you four will be telling part of the story of Passover. So here's what we want to do. What we want to do is... On these two lines that you're looking at right now, that's the first of the four questions. So can you read that one for us and just read it aloud so everyone can hear you? Why is this night different from all the other nights? Okay, and those two lines are actually your first question. Oh, okay. On all other nights, we eat bread of... Or matzah. On this night, why do we eat only matzah? That's a good question. Why do we only eat that stuff? Thanks for asking. We'll answer it for you. You can give him a hand. Good. And you can go sit down now if you'd like. And the second question is right over here. These two lines. On all other nights, we eat all kinds of vegetables. On this night, why do we eat any bitter herbs? Very, very good read and good question. Thanks a lot. All right. Question number three right over here on these two lines. Very, very good. Thanks for asking the question. You're done. And birthday girl, last but not least, these two lines over here. Question number four. On all other nights, we eat our meals sitting or reclining. On this night, why do we only recline? Great, and we'll give you the answer, and thanks for coming up. Appreciate that. As we go on, we'll answer those questions, but next, what I want to do first is I want to go on to the second of our four cups of grape juice. Now, you remember we said that each cup goes by a different name. What was the name of the first cup, everybody? Holiness, right. The second cup you could either call the cup of judgment or the cup of plagues because you want to have a reminder of the 10 plagues that God brought down on the land of Egypt. Because of that, you don't actually drink from this cup because even figuratively, nobody wants to drink a plague, amen? But what we do for this cup is we want to show, obviously, how the Lord brought 10 plagues on Egypt. Let me show you the tradition that Jewish people do. I'm going to do a different one for you tonight. But, but traditionally, what Jewish people will do is when they get to this second cup, everyone at the table will say each one of the 10 plagues aloud. And each time they do, they'll take their pinky finger, they'll dip it into the cup to get a dab of grape juice on it, and then they'll take that and they'll just dip it on the side of a plate 10 times, each time mentioning another one of the plagues, showing how God brought down or poured out his plagues on the land of Egypt. Interesting tradition, good tradition. I have a different one. And if you've never been to one of my Passover seders, I can promise you've never seen this before because I made it up. But I think when you see it, you'll understand the significance and why. What I do is to show how God brought down 10 plagues on the land of Egypt is I say, you know, we've got this bowl of clear water. Everybody's already washed. We don't need it anymore. So what I do is each time I mention one of the 10 plagues, I pour a drop of this grape juice into the bowl of clear water. 
after I mention all of the plagues, and then we'll see why I've done it and what this bowl looks like. I'll need your help, of course, to do it. So each time, here's what I'll do. I will say the name of each plague in the order that God brought them on Egypt. Every time I do that, I'll pour a drop, and you just repeat the plague after me. So here's the first one, everybody. Repeat after me. Blood. Mm -hmm. Frogs. Lice. Flies. Cattle disease. Boils. Hail. Locusts. Darkness. Death of the firstborn. There you have it. So what I've done is I've obviously given you an illustration of how God has poured out 10 plagues on the land of Egypt. And as I said, there are many, many ways to do it. I chose to pour those plagues out or the grape juice out into the bowl of clear water. Why would I do that? Well, because again, the grape juice is also to us to be a picture of Christ's blood poured out for us that led to our redemption. Yeah, but why pour that into the bowl of clear water? What's the symbolism? There's a lot, and it's powerful. Because as a pastor, I believe that one of the greatest ways of learning Scripture is by seeing Scripture. And what you're now seeing in this bowl is a powerful reminder of a very important Bible verse. John 19, 34. Which tells us that as Jesus was on the cross being crucified, that in order to ensure that he was dead, you remember what happened? A Roman soldier came over and pierced his side, and out came blood and water. And when the two liquids came out and dropped to the foot of the cross and came together, perhaps, perhaps, they would have looked something very, very much like what we have in our bowls right now. A powerful reminder of just how much he loved us then, always will, and what he was willing to do for us so that our sins would be atoned for and we'd have the promise of eternal life. What a great, mighty God we serve, amen? Hallelujah. Now, following that, in the next door of the Passover Seder, I go on to the <laughs> supposed hard-boiled or roasted egg. You put this on a Seder plate, which is kind of weird when you think about it because at Jesus' Passover Seder last supper with his disciples, we know what they had to eat. They had lamb, they had bitter herbs, and they had unleavened bread. There was no egg on their Seder plate. So the question is, if they didn't have one on theirs, why do we have one on ours? Here's the answer, and it's a pretty interesting story. Many years after the second temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, the rabbis decided to add a roasted or a hard-boiled egg to the Seder meal. Uh, the reason that they did that was because they wanted to have something that reminded people of the temple. Okay, how does a hard-boiled egg remind you of the temple? Well, during the days of the temple when it was still in existence, the Bible commanded that if you were a Jewish family living in Israel, there were three times out of the year where whether you lived close to the temple or not, you and your family were commanded to go there and worship God. One of those times in the fall was the Feast of Tabernacles. Late spring or early summer was Pentecost. But the first time during the year was Passover. You had to go with your family up to the temple during Passover in Jerusalem to worship. And how many of you know that Jesus did that with his family? And we know that because it's recorded in Luke chapter 2. And it's a great story. You know the story. Jesus and his family are going up to the temple during the Passover feast. And it said after the Passover, Mary and Joseph are walking home and of course you remember the story at one point as they're walking home they turn to each other and they utter those most famous words no I thought he was with you I don't know where he went either and of course 
Jesus was back up at the temple sitting with the rabbis. But when people went up, they would bring not only a sacrificial animal, but they would also bring what was called a peace offering, P-E-A-C-E. Rabbis added the egg to the Seder plate to have a reminder of the peace offering, the additional peace offering that folks would bring to the temple at that time. The rabbis weren't trying to point to Jesus when they added this egg to the Seder plate, but boy, did they ever. Let me explain how. Uh, Peace offering. Well, let's take that word peace, P-E-A-C-E. Folks, that's one of Christ's names. It's from Isaiah 9, 6. Says that the government shall be upon his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. How about the word offering? Well, is he not the greatest offering that any of us could have ever received from heaven above? And, you know, I'll tell you why else I like the egg. It's close. It's not exact. Because you can define the Trinity, but it's really tough to explain. But, but, you know, I like the idea of a yolk, uh, of an egg, because, well, yeah, it's got three parts or essences to it. You've got the shell, you've got the white, you've got the yolk, but... You don't have three eggs, do you? You still have one egg. And oftentimes I try to use this explanation to help people understand the concept of the Trinity because oftentimes people will say, okay, you say there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That's three gods. How, how in the world can you say that's one God? Well, think about it. You've got an egg, shell, the white, and the yolk. An egg can have three essences to it, yet it, it can still remain one egg. Amen? Well, here's the deal. I think if an egg has the power to do that, then God probably has the power to do that too, don't you think? Helps to understand that. Now, as we go on from there, what I want to do is, yeah, I want to get another volunteer. Come on right up to the table. Okay, please, pretty please, come on up to the, you got it. Come on up. My friend from Hungary, tell me your name again. All right, Ronnie, here's what I want you to do. Ronnie, I want you to hold this piece of matzah in your hands because, uh, Ronnie, what I need you to do is I need you to actually be here as I explain what this bread is doing up here in the first place. One of the questions that was asked was, on all other nights, we can eat any kind of bread we want, but on this night, why only unleavened bread? Why only this type of bread? And here's the reason. You need to know that when the Israelites finally got out of bondage and slavery in Egypt, they they didn't just walk out of Egypt. They ran out of Egypt because they knew that at any moment, Yul Brynner and his troops were going to come after them. They knew it. Now, when the Israelites finally got to set camp, they got hungry and so they wanted to eat and they said, let's bake bread. The problem was that they knew the Egyptian army was in pursuit, Ronnie. So they baked the bread, but they didn't stick around long enough to allow the dough and the bread to rise. And so the bread that they ate was flat. And so we eat this kind of flat bread on Passover. By the way, that's yours. You can take that and eat that and sit down. That's your free gift for coming on up here. Okay? You got it. Well, look. I mean, if you... He's come all the way from Hungary. You might as well give him a piece of matzah for crying out loud. What's the matter with you people? So the bread baked flat. However, we have another reason to believe why the bread might have baked flat. The bread might have baked flat because we have reason to believe that when the Israelites fled from slavery for their lives, they probably didn't take yeast with them. That's a probably good probably because think about it. Oh my gosh, we've got to leave now or we're going to be killed? Okay, 
wait, wait, I've got to go back for the yeast now. And so when they finally got out to bake the bread, there was probably no yeast in the dough in the recipe. So guess what? Even if you have time to bake bread, you can bake it all day long, but if there's no yeast in it, it's never going to rise. So in either case, the bread baked flat. And guys, the bread that you're holding in your hands now and sharing, it's not only mentioned in the Old Testament, Testament in the book of Exodus, it's also mentioned in the New Testament. You know who talks about it? The Apostle Paul. Powerful Bible verses. Let me give you the address. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 and 7. And here's what Paul says in those verses. Listen close. He says, don't you know that even a little bit of yeast in the recipe will ruin the whole entire loaf? He said, so don't be like bread with yeast that puffs itself up. Instead, he said, be like, well, be like this kind of bread, like unleavened bread, like Christ our Passover was. That's powerful stuff. And let me tell you what it means. How many of you know when Paul said, don't be like bread with yeast, he really wasn't so much talking about bread anymore? As he was talking about people, people who puff themselves up, who are prideful and pride is sin. So when he said, don't be like bread with yeast, he was saying, don't be like prideful people. Instead, be like this kind of bread. It doesn't puff itself up. It's not sinful. So it's a reminder of bread without sin like Jesus is. How is Jesus our bread without sin? It's easy. One of his names is the bread of life. The town where he was uh, born in, Bethlehem, at least that's its name in English. But in Hebrew, it's pronounced Beit Lechem. The Hebrew word Beit means the house of, and the Hebrew word Lechem means bread. And of course, he's our sinless savior and Messiah. But there's something else here. And guys, if you still have your piece of matzah or a little bit and running, you'll be able to see this. You could see that the matzah is striped. That's a reminder or a picture of our Messiah from Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. When you guys broke that piece of matzah, and I'm so glad you did, you, you heard the crack. It was dry. That's another picture of our Messiah Jesus on the cross from Psalm 22, where he said as he was being crucified, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. Also, something else, and you really can't see it too well just looking down at it. But, and afterward, if you want to come up and take a look, take a piece of matzah, hold it up to the ceiling under one of the lights, <clears throat> and you'll see holes running through each slice. Many, many different holes. A reminder of the holes or the piercings in Christ's body. And you know, it's really, really profound. You really, truly, fully can't acknowledge the holes or his piercings unless you are in the light. I kind of like that illustration. How about you? Amen? Now, I need another volunteer and a brave volunteer. You got it. Come on over. Thank you for pushing her hand up. That was wonderful of you to do that. Oh, my gosh. All right. Now, you are? Annika. Here's what I want you to do. Annika, and if you want, I'll do this first. Okay, what I want to do is I want to give you a piece of matzah because now that we've explained the matzah, Annika, we've got to put something on it. Now, do you like apples, walnuts, honey, and cinnamon? That's great. Unfortunately, that's not what we're putting on the thing. But I'm glad you like that anyway. Annika, what we put on the matzah first is we put horseradish on the matzah. And as I said, I'll demonstrate for you first. It's okay, don't panic. Oh, don't go to sleep tonight. 
Okay. What I'm going to do, I'll demonstrate for you first. Okay, and if it's, you know, it, it, it shouldn't be too bad. But the, the ritual is that what you do is you take a little bit of horseradish, just a little bit of horseradish, and you put it on a piece of matzah. <laughs> oh, that's entirely too much. And uh, trust me on this. Before you take a bite, <laughs> you pray. <laughs> so hang on, let me take a bite out of this one second. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, you love it. So, and I go, would you like to put a little bit of horseradish in there? Okay. You can try it just a little bit. There you go. Oh, my gosh. It's like an electron microscope size. You did great, though. Thank you for helping us out. There we go. Why do we do that? I know you really want to know. Do you need some water? Okay. Do you need like a fire extinguisher? Are you okay? The horseradish is very, very bitter. You want to taste something that reminds you of the bitterness of slavery the Israelites went through and obviously the bitterness of being a slave to the devil. But this has a lot to do with the Passover Seder Last Supper story of Jesus and his disciples. It all points to it. Because you'll remember that sometime during the supper, I remember Jesus all of a sudden said to his disciples, he said, by the way, I tell you this, tonight one of you is going to betray me. Remember he said that? And what did each of them say in response? Master, rabbi, teacher, is it I, is it I, is it I, is it I? And how did Jesus answer them when they said that? He said, it is the one who dips into the bowl. At that point, at that very moment, Jesus was referring to Judas Iscariot as Judas Iscariot was no doubt taking unleavened bread and dipping it into the bitter herbs on the Seder plate. And now you know. Now I need another volunteer. See, now everybody wants to go because, well, he's done with the horseradish, so we're free from here. I need another volunteer. Somebody wants to come up. Really, he does? Thank you for choosing him. Come on up. <laughs> Look how eager he is. Come on over. Oh, my gosh, he's got a fan club here. Okay. You know, we got to find out some extra information. First of all, what is your name? Josh. I'm, wait, I'm sorry. What is your name? Josh. That is correct. Now, Josh, come on over here to the table. <laughs> now, Josh, here's what I need you to do. Josh, I need you to take a piece of matzah. By the way, do you like horseradish? No. Don't worry about it, Josh. We're done with the horseradish. But, Josh, here's what I want you to do. Over here next is a mixture of apples, walnuts, honey, and cinnamon. Annika is freaking out right now. Don't worry about it. We're saving some for you. Josh, I want you to put some of that on a piece of matzo now and go ahead and take a bite. Okay? Have some of that. That should taste a lot better. And wow. Oh, my gosh. We're, here, just take the whole plate home, Josh. <laughs> Thanks for coming up, buddy. Let's give him a hand. That was awesome. Apples, walnuts, honey, and cinnamon. Obviously, it's very, very sweet. Out of the bitterness of slavery comes the sweetness of redemption. Out of the bitterness of being a slave to the devil comes the sweetness of our redemption in Christ. By the way, that apples, walnuts, honey, cinnamon, very, very chunky. Wasn't that good, Josh? 
It's very, very chunky. It's very, very gooey. It's supposed to be because you're supposed to make it of a certain consistency that the consistency itself visually reminds you of the consistency of the mortar that the Israelite slaves worked in in their bare feet in the fields and the hot fields to bake bricks to build the palaces for the Pharaoh. How are we doing so far, everybody? You ready to go on? Okay. If we were having a meal for our Passover Seder, we'd have it here. But before the meal, everybody actually has to sing a song. And you, di- you guys did great with Harosis. So I- I'm going to teach you this song. Very, very traditional song during the Passover Seder. We'll do the short version on it. You just have to sing every word of this song in Hebrew. That's all. But the good news is it's just one Hebrew word that you keep saying over and over again. And this Hebrew word is pronounced Dayenu. So everybody say Dayenu. That's great. Would you like to know what you just said? All right. The word Dayenu means enough. And here's the context of it. It's not, I've had enough horseradish. It's not that context. (laughs) It means this. If all God had done for the Israelites were to have brought them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt, that would have been enough. But he did so much more. He brought them to Mount Sinai, gave them the commandments, showed them the difference between obedience and sin, so they'd know the only way out of your sin is through obedience to Christ. If all God had done for us were to have sent Jesus to die for our sins, that would have been enough. But he did so much more. Not only did he die for our sins, but he gives us the promise of spending eternity with him. So we sing Dianu. One song, very, very simple, very short. I'll start the tune off for you, and then you join me. You'll catch on in about two seconds. Die, die, new. Die, die, new. Die, die, new. Die, new. Die, new. One more time. Die, die, new. Die, die, new. Die, die, new. Die, new. Die, new. That's it. That was great. Give yourselves a hand. You're amazing. There you go. Now. After the dinner, uh, Pastor Mike, even though you know where that is, we usually have kids go get it. Can you bring back that piece of matzah that, you know, it's been a while since we've seen that piece of matzah. Almost feels like it was three days and three nights ago, doesn't it? So after, after the Seder is over, thanks, Mike, we usually ask one of the kids to go out and find that piece of matzah and bring it back. Now, you remember... We had this piece of matzah broken from the sun piece, wrapped in a white cloth, buried away, but just for a little while, brought back or resurrected. And as a result of that resurrection, a redemption normally takes place, our redemption, which brings us to the third cup of our Passover Seder, which just happens to be called the cup of redemption. To me, this is the most important and significant cup of all. If you're taking notes I'll I'll, I'll take it nice and slow here because you're going to want to get this down. It's called the cup of redemption based upon Exodus 6, verses 6 and 7, where God said to the Israelites, I will redeem you with a mighty hand and by my outstretched arm, which is really interesting because the term the arm of God or the arm of the Lord, it's actually a term for the Messiah. It's a messianic term. It refers to Jesus. So it's almost like God saying, I will redeem the Israelites with my mighty hand and I'll redeem the whole world with my Jesus. This cup of redemption reminds us, obviously, we were redeemed by Jesus's blood. And that's important because it was this cup that Jesus talked about in Luke 20, 21, actually, where he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, 
which is poured out for you. Which means that there's something very, very interesting and special and important about this cup. For those of you who said at the beginning that you've never been at a Passover Seder before, you may have participated in part of a Passover Seder before. In fact, you likely did. And you probably never knew it. Because each time you partake in communion, you are partaking in the third cup of Jesus' Passover Seder with his disciples. It is the cup of redemption. It is also the cup that reminds us it, it was not just the body of Christ, which this obviously represents the body of Christ broken for us, but it was also the blood of Christ shed for us as well. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, our Seder is almost done, but I think I need probably just one more. I need one more volunteer. And don't worry. I mean, the horseradish is done, so you don't have to worry. It's, it's, we're all, it's all downhill from here. I just need one more volunteer. This is very simple. Trust me. No one needs to be afraid. I'm not going to embarrass you. You already were up here. Why are you? Wait, I'm sorry. I'm embarrassing him. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> But I'm glad you asked. Hang on, hang on, Ronnie. I just want to get someone else to participate who hasn't gone yet. But thank you for raising your hand. Yes, come on over. Excellent. You guys are like there tonight. And we have, you are, please? Okay, Nathan. Nathan, I'm going to give you a very, very important responsibility. It's a very, very simple responsibility, though. Here's what I want you to do. Nathan, I want you to go to those two doors right over there, the exit doors. I want you to open one up. Hold it open for about five seconds. That's it then let it close, and then just come back to your seat. That's it. Okay? Well, come on, root for him. He's going for the door for crying out loud. This takes guts, brains, stamina, energy. All right, Nathan, hold that door open for five seconds. One, two, three. Well, thank you so much. Four, five, and and Nathan, you can close the door now, and let's give Nathan a hand. That was amazing. Amen. There you go. By the way, Nathan, do you have any idea why I asked you to open up that door? No, me neither. So let's go on with our Seder. No, no, I'm only kidding. Nathan, let me tell you why I told you to do that. It's this part in a Passover Seder where you open up a door to invite a special guest to come in. At every Passover Seder, at this time, they open up the door to invite a special guest to come in. Jewish people are, are opening the door because they are inviting the spirit of Elijah to come in and join them at the Seder because they believe that one day the real Elijah will come and he will herald or announce the coming of the Messiah. Now, what's interesting is that doesn't the Bible tell us that in John one twenty nine that uh, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And didn't John the Baptist herald or announce the coming of Christ our Messiah when he said in John 1.29, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Which brings us to the last and final item or element on our Seder plate, the lamb shank bone. I love talking about this one the most because there's such great, great and powerful significance here as we prepare to close. 
you probably at this juncture have a fairly good idea of what this lamb shank bone is doing up there. Obviously, it was the blood of a lamb that was smeared, slain on the lintels and the doorpost, led to the redemption of the Israelites. And the blood of Jesus, our lamb, that led to our redemption from sin and slavery. But the story goes beyond that. And as so many satyrs I've been to, here's the story that I never seem to hear, but I want to tell you because I believe it's the most important. After the Israelites got out of Egypt... God told Moses, he said, Moses, I want the Israelites to celebrate Passover every year from now on. And I have specific instructions as to how they're to do it. Here were the instructions. Listen, God said, Moses, tell the people from now on when they celebrate Passover each year, four days before every Passover, tell the head of every Israelite household to go out among their fields and flocks, take hold of a lamb without mark or spot or blemish, And then bring that lamb into the house. The head of the household would bring the the lamb into the family's house. Because for the next four days, that would give the family, everybody in the family, enough ample time to look over that lamb and examine and inspect and investigate that lamb to make sure that that lamb would be a lamb fit for sacrifice. After the four-day period was over, Everyone who had a lamb in their house would bring their lambs out to a main square area where the high priest would come. The high priest would then lead a procession of those lambs through the streets to the place where those lambs would be sacrificed. The sacrificial ritual of those lambs would begin at exactly 9 o'clock in the morning. The sacrificial ritual, it is said, would take six hours and therefore end at approximately 3 o'clock in the afternoon or the ninth hour or twilight. And oh, by the way, when that sacrificial ritual was done, the high priest would make an, uh, an official announcement telling everyone so. We're told that all he'd need to do would be to simply say these three words, it is finished. Now, if Jesus is indeed our Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, then I would submit to you that everything that physical Lamb went through, that Jesus, our Lamb, would have had to have also have gone through, and not just at around the same time, but right down to the same hour, minute, and second. And the question is, did he? And the answer is yes. Let me take you through the story again, and I'll show you how Christ fits the parallels. And then we'll finish up our Seder. We said that four days before the Passover... The lamb went into the house. Well, do you know what Jesus, our lamb, was doing four days before his final Passover? The Bible says Jesus, our lamb, went into the house. The house of prayer, the house of God, the temple to cast out the money changers. So the lamb goes into the house and Jesus, the lamb, goes into the house. And in both cases, it's four days before the Passover. During the four-day period, the physical lamb is examined, inspected, investigated, and gone over. Do you know what was happening to Jesus, our lamb, during that same four-day period? You don't have to wonder. Just read Luke 20 and 21. It's in there. First, a group came over to him and they said, Jesus, here you are in the streets preaching the word of God. Who gave you the authority to go and preach these things? What were they doing to Jesus, our lamb? Investigating him, examining him, inspecting him, questioning him. Then a second group came over to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we have coins with Caesar's profile on them, but what do you mean that we should render to Caesar what is Caesar's? What do you mean by this? What were they doing to our lamb? Examining, inspecting, investigating, questioning. 
Then a third group came over to Jesus, and they were the Sadducees, and they had one of the weirdest questions you have ever heard asked in the Bible. They said, Jesus, let's say that a man is the oldest of seven Jewish brothers, and he marries a woman, but then he dies. Well, Jesus, according to Jewish law, the next oldest brother must marry the widow, and he does, but then he dies. And so the next oldest brother marries her, and he dies. So the next brother marries her, and he dies. And the next brother, and the next brother. In other words, every time one of these brothers marries this woman, they die. Now, you know, I've always thought something about this story. Think about this. I mean, if you're the seventh brother... I mean, I would have been out the door. I kind of maybe get an idea of what's coming. Why is he still there? But the Sadducees said, okay, so Jesus, after all of these men have died and they go up to heaven, when the woman herself finally dies and she gets to heaven, which one of the guys is she married to? Now, the question was a nonsense question because the Bible also teaches you that the Sadducees who asked it didn't even believe in resurrection. So why did they ask? Because they were inspecting, investigating, and examining our lamb. End of the four-day period, morning of the day of preparation of the Passover. Lambs are in the streets. High priest comes, leads a procession of those lambs to the streets, to the place where they will be sacrificed at nine in the morning. Same day, same time. Jesus, our lamb, out in the streets, led in a procession by the high priest to his place of sacrifice. And his sacrifice began at what time in the morning, does the Bible tell you, please? Now you know why. The sacrifice of the physical lambs went on for the next six hours. How many hours does the Bible tell you that Jesus endured on the cross, please? Now you know why. The sacrifice of the lambs ended at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Jesus' sacrifice ended at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. When the sacrifice of the physical lambs was done, the high priest said, it is finished. The book of Hebrews in chapters 9 through 11 remind us that when Jesus was on that cross he not only became our sacrifice but that's when he also became our high priest and that's why at that very same moment it was he as the high priest who spoke and said it is finished and now you know why I'm so blessed and so thankful for what Christ did I'm also overjoyed because how many of you know we've learned an awful lot tonight in a very short amount of time and that the beauty of it is that from now on when future passovers come the festival is going to speak to you when you hear it's passover you'll say wait a minute i know what that means that that means everything that jesus did is my lamb of god and i'm so glad i know that now tonight you learned more about jesus so that when a special day comes it will speak to you about Christ. Now, how many of you know that's, that's something to praise? And that's probably why our fourth and final cup is called the cup of praise. We praise God, obviously, for all that he did for that exodus of those Israelites in Egypt. And we praise God for man- manifesting himself in human form and doing that same thing very, very much for us. Hallelujah. By the way, you formally in the Seder, everybody has to say three Hebrew words. But don't worry, I'll have you repeat them after me. And after Harosis and Dayenu, trust me, you'll handle these. You'll be great. In fact, the third word, I'll break up into different syllables. It'll sound like two words, but it's not. So just repeat these three Hebrew words after me because they close the Seder. Here's the first one. Lishana. That's good. Haba'a. Biru. Shalayim. 
That was great. Three Hebrew words. Would you like to know what you just said? Three Hebrew words means attention Kmart shop. No, no, no. It means next year in Jerusalem. That wouldn't it be wonderful, whether it's Passover time or any other time, to be able to go to the Holy Land, walk where Jesus walked, taught, see where he taught, and just experience him as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. Let's give him praise tonight. I think we learned a little bit. Amen. Did, did, did you learn maybe a little bit tonight? Hallelujah. Before, before you, uh, you head on out tonight, uh, first of all, uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Jewish Voice Ministries with Rabbi Jonathan Burness. How many of you have seen the television show? Good, quite a few of you, and thanks for watching. Our show is on all over the world. This is Jewish Voice is a ministry that basically says, you know, there's a lot of great ministries out there sharing the good news to the Gentiles, and we need one to share the message of Christ to the Jews, and that's what we've been doing for over 50 years. With a television show, with festivals of music and dance, with a free magazine that comes out once every couple of months, and I want you to receive that magazine, and so what I want to do Pastor Mike, would you do the honors? If you are not currently receiving free stuff from us, uh, trust me, you're breaking the 11th commandment. So here's what I need you to do. Please take a card, or if you would, just raise your hand, and Pastor Mike will make sure you get a card. Don't be afraid to raise your hand. This is not an altar call yet. And uh, we want you to receive our, our magazine, but I'll tell you why else I'm handing out the cards. Eight times a year now, what we've been doing is we have been holding medical missions clinics, free medical clinics in places like Ethiopia, Zimbabwe, and far eastern India. And I've been to all of these places and there are actually Jewish people there. But whoever's there, we go and we bring with us doctors, dentists, eye surgeons, nurses, anybody in the medical field and people who are not in the medical field because these people are dying from things we take an aspirin to remedy. We go... We minister to them, we treat them, and then we bring them into our prayer room and they pray, pray for them to receive healing. Last one I was on in Ethiopia, in five days, our medical team treated more than 10,000 people in five days. Do the math, that's huge. Of that number, 6,714 were willing to come into our prayer room to receive prayer for their healing. And of that number, more than 3,800 gave their lives to Christ. And that's what it's all about. And so now when we go back to these places, they've established churches. Why am I telling you this? Because we're always looking for, for new people to come with us on our missions trips. And I would love to have some folks from here in Charlevoix join us. If you are interested in coming on one of these missions trips, you don't have to work in the medical field to do it. Maybe you could be in a prayer room and pray with someone who has absolutely nothing in the world that will change your life. On the front of the card, Toward the bottom, you'll see a box that says go. Check the go box and we'll have somebody at Jewish Voice Ministries contact you and let you know how to go on one of our medical clinics. Do you have to take care of your own expenses like airfare and land package there? Yeah, you do. But here's the, here's the deal. You may feel, well, I don't have the finances for this. If God wants you to go, and if you honestly feel this is a calling of the Lord, you check the box, you move in faith, and let God handle the part of getting you there. But you take the first step, okay? Uh, I think uh, the materials are also still in the other room before you go because I had a number of you asking me about these and I'll meet you at the materials table again as we finish up. Several things. First of all, 
This is a Passover Haggadah. At many, many seders, everyone gets a Passover Haggadah so that they could follow along with the story. A lot of what I taught up here tonight is in this Haggadah. And once again, it goes through the Old Testament significance and the New Testament significance and the fulfillment in Christ. And you can use this at just about any seder. It's a great, great book to have. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Unlocking the Prophetic Mysteries of Israel. This is a, a DVD set, has three great speakers on here. Rabbi Jonathan Burness, our executive director, talking about prophecies about Israel. The second speaker, Dr. Randall Price, a wonderful Bible scholar who talks about the signs of the Third Temple. And the third speaker on here, his name is Bill Koenig. He's a believer and White House correspondent. He shows how every time the United States pressures Israel to give away land, some type of natural disaster hits this country within 48 hours. And he's got it all documented. You know, when he first told me about it, I I said, Bill, I'm not buying this because I'm one of these skeptical people. And he said, well, Jack, what happened on January 9th of 2008? And I said, let me go look it up on the Internet. And I did. And I said, well, then President George W. Bush was in Israel visiting then Prime Minister Ehud Omert. He said, that's right. And what did he tell Omert to do? Well, he told Omert to divide the city of Jerusalem in half and give East Jerusalem to the Palestinians and West Jerusalem to the Jews. It would be a divided capital. He said, Jack, do you think that upset God? I said, yeah, because the book of Joel says God would bring his wrath on us if we divide his land. He said, Jack, that's probably why on that same day a tornado touched down in Arkansas and totally divided up a little town in Arkansas called Jerusalem, Arkansas. Look it up. It's there. It's true. It happened. So that's on this DVD set. Another DVD, The Miracle of Israel, a story of the establishment of the state of Israel, its history, the history and story of the Jewish people and anti-Semitism. There's so much in here. It's a one-hour documentary that we produced about two years ago that just took off and aired all over the United States, not just on Christian television, because when the major networks asked us who narrated this, and we told them, they said, good, we want to air it too because people will love it. The guy who narrated it for us two years ago, it was one of his last projects. You might have heard of him. His name was Leonard Nimoy. He played the original Spock in Star Trek, and he was the one who did this for us. Uh, let's see, two more to tell you about. A number of you have asked me about this. This is called a, and I'll enunciate it, a mezuzah. And the reason that I enunciate it is because sometimes I remember one time I must have said that word too quickly. Uh, maybe I said it as mezuzah and I had somebody come after me and he said, he said, uh, Rabbi, he said, uh, you got any of them medusas left? And I said, oh no, no. No, no, sir, I'm sorry. That's the lady with the snakes in her hair. We don't sell that one anymore. This is, uh, this is the word mezuzah comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This actually goes up on your doorpost. You hammer it in or you nail it in there. And inside there's parchment here with he in Hebrew from Deuteronomy 6 verses 5 through 9 where God says, write my word on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And you use this to do it. And finally, a three CD set called A Rabbi Looks at the Last Days. If you are really into end time prophecy, you want this. Three speakers on here again, Rabbi Jonathan Burness, talking about prophecies that are fulfilled right now in our lifetime. 
Walid Shobat, the second speaker, a former Palestinian terrorist who gave his life to Christ, and Rabbi Jack Zimmerman. I'm your third speaker on here. We all did this conference together in North Carolina about three years ago. We had a great time teaching about what the church must do in the last days to bring us about the salvation of all Israel and witness the return of Christ. So a lot of good stuff on that materials table. And Pastor Mike, it was so good to see you again. Thank you so much for uh, for having me come. By the way, don't forget, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, if you're free, meet me up the road at Charlevoix Church of the Nazarene. We're going to talk about what the Democratic and Republican presidential candidates what their, what their take is regarding issues that affect Israel. We're not endorsing anybody. We're a church. We're just going to let you know where all of them stand. So it'll be a great presentation. Did you want me to close, by the way, with that blessing like I did last time? Okay, here's what I'm going to do. And I do this every time I come here. Let me close by saying and then singing a blessing over you. And then Pastor Mike, I'll have you come up and take over. And I'll be at the materials table. This comes from the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Verses 22 through 26. It is called the priestly blessing or the ironic benediction. I will say it over you first in English and then I will sing it over you in the original Hebrew and we'll call this a night. So please receive this blessing now. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord our God lift up his countenance upon you and may he grant you his peace. And sung in the Hebrew, it sounds this way. Yeso Adonai Ponovelecha We are same Liho Shalom And all of God's people said